Welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Guybe. Good afternoon. The great Matt Guybe with you once again with another podcast from the Kingdom Corner. And today, the topic will be unity, the antidote for chaos. Unity, the antidote for chaos. And we are taking this episode today from chapter 4 of Ephesians. And I just want to start out and read the text that we want to really look into today. And this may go on for an episode or two. Uh, This is a very important topic right now, especially with what's going on in our nation and in our society. So, verse 1 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Again, we're talking about unity, the antidote for chaos. And I'm a word nerd, and so I want to just read you some words that have to do with unity, some definitions, and then I want to uh, briefly share a vision that, or a dream that I had about a week ago, and uh, it applies to this subject of unity versus chaos. So I'm going to take the first words I read out of the Webster's 2 New Riverside University Dictionary. I think I've had this one for a long time. But we're talking about unity. Unity, the state of being one. Singleness, the quality or state of accord or agreement. A combination or arrangement of parts into a whole, that is unification. The unified entity, an ordering of all elements in a work of art or literature so that each constitutes to a unified aesthetic effect, the effect thus produced as one. Singleness or constancy of purpose or action. Continuity. I like those meetings. I think if we look at the Greek definition, it's really pretty simple. The word that Greek here from the New Testament is hanatos or hanates. Hanatos is, I think, the right way to say it. And it really means unanimity or agreement or accord, just like our English word. So that's what that means. And then if we were to look at unity, there's also another word that's parallel. In the passage, and it's mentioned seven times through verses four to six, and that is the word one. And the Greek word there is heis, means union, or meaning one as opposed to not many. So there you have it. Part of the what I wanted to get into, just to share some word meanings, but let's look at some other word meaning. Undivided, oneness, rapport, accord, peace, agreement. Harmony, identity, unification. These are all synonyms for unity or oneness. 
Now let's look at some anonyms, and I want you to think about what's going on right now in our nation and in our world. Division, disunity, split, segregation, sundering, discord, disharmony, conflict, confusion, severance, dividing, incompatibility, incongruous, hatred, fighting, infighting, feuding, discord, chaos. And that's where I got the title. You know, the antidote to chaos is unity. The thing that we need today in the church more than ever is unity. So I want to tell you a little bit about a dream that I had a week ago. It's been just about a week ago, and it was toward morning because I'm up a lot at night, and uh, it was probably the last time where I went to sleep for a good period of time, and it was near morning that I had this vivid dream. And I, I know we all dream, but I think some of us, I used to say I don't dream, but I think we don't all remember our dreams, but we all dream because um, God has created us that way when we sleep that we dream. And I remembered this dream. and. I was laying in my bed, and into my room came this wonderful, brilliant being by my bed, and I knew right away it was really white, sheer white, that it was an angel. And the angel put its arm around my shoulder and beckoned me with its other hand to come with him, and we flew out my window, and we flew for quite a while, and I could see all over the town I live in, you know, from the sky. And I could see pretty soon all over other regions because we were way up high. And then we began to circle around this one field that was all just a barren field. And there in the middle of the field was a body of a person, like a man. And the man was basically naked. And around this man were these ugliest creatures. And these creatures were just pulling this body in all kind of directions, tearing it apart, basically. And this person, this man, was crying out in agony as it was torn apart limb from limb. And I thought, we got to stop this. We got to stop this. And I told the angel, and the angel basically shook his head. And then we basically flew out of that scene. And I don't know, within a real quick amount of time, I was back in my bed. And I felt the Spirit of God come upon me. I felt God speak to my heart that this was a picture of the body of Christ today in a lot of places. Now, I know some people, when I shared this on social media, they disputed it, some Christians. That's fine. I'm not saying I'm a prophet or I know everything. I surely don't. But I know in a lot of the body of Christ, there's disunity. And this person told me about the great revival down on the beaches of California that was happening, and I'm all for that. But I still think in a lot of ways, the body of Christ is divided. And in this hour, in this season, in this time, more than ever, the body of Christ needs to come together, as Ephesians talks about here, in this chapter especially, and come together in unity and oneness so that we can rise up and be the body and the church that God wants us to be as a testimony, as a witness of love to the world and we need to come together in unity. So that's why I'm talking today. Unity, the antidote to chaos. And believe me, all those words I read as, I guess they'd be anonyms, not synonyms, 
I'm sorry, like division, disunity, segregation, all those you can begin to picture what's going on right now in our world, you know, and in our society. There's anything but unity. I've been around over 60 years now. I remember when I was a boy and I didn't understand it all. I was in junior high. There were a lot of race riots. And as the time of Martin Luther King, you know, he was assassinated. And uh, other people like Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. And of course, our own President Kennedy. There were a lot of riots and the burning of cities back then. And I think this time, I don't understand it all then. If there was ever a time we were really, really divided, I think even now more so than then, than then even. We are really a divided nation right now, and I'm really concerned about that. And I think the the idea behind the dream that God gave me was we need to really pray and intercede that the body of Christ will come together in unity. So let's look at some of these verses and break them down. This is what I call a study of exegesis. It means I exit out from the Scripture the truths that are in these Scriptures, and I share them with you. And the other thing I do that I'm really big on that I want you to understand is that I believe in looking at a lot of parallel passages when I talk about a subject, because I think it's very important to compare Scripture with Scripture and prove what we are saying by not just one Scripture. I don't want to just cherry-pick a Scripture and say, see, this is what the Bible says about this. When we're talking about unity, we find that, and oneness of the body of Christ, we find that throughout the whole Bible, throughout the whole Word of God, and I can show you parallel Scriptures. So I'm going to be bringing you parallel Scriptures about what I'm going to begin to talk about here in this lesson about unity. So that's what we'll talk about. And so the first thing, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, this is what Paul says, because he was in prison, beseech you, I entreat you, that you walk worthy of the vocation that you are called with or that you are called to. The vocation, that is the calling, and he's calling them to one accord. Like I said, this theme of this chapter is unity, calling them to one accord, to one vocation, to work together. That's what he's implying here in verse 1. Paul was glorying, actually, in his—the idea here is he was glorying in his imprisonment for the cause of Christ because it brought glory to the name of Christ. And we saw in chapter 3, I've taught there before, and I don't know—I think I shared it here—that by him being in prison actually gave more weight to this message. They felt more of a I guess a real, what would you call it, a real compassion or compunction, compelling to do something about what he was sharing, because they knew the time was short. And uh, he was telling them in chapter 3 not to get, and I'm going back a little bit, not to get all discouraged, because it was for their glory, the Ephesian church, the Gentile church, that he was imprisoned for their glory. And under this suffering, it would actually bring more glory. And So I'm backing up a little bit. Also, we're talking about oneness today, unity. Uh, He stressed throughout chapter 3 and in chapter 2 about the two different bodies, meaning the Gentile church along with those saints that were converted from Judaism to Christianity, that they were all now one. The message just wasn't for the Jewish church that Jesus died, but it was also for the Gentile church. Again, he's stressing unity. They weren't two bodies anymore. You'll read that in chapter 2, also chapter 3, but they were one. 
And so they're one body, and he's the message is to all of them together. And he's talking about also in chapter 2, I think we'll read that scripture today, the end of chapter 2, that about the lit, I love this, I always talk a lot about it, the living, breathing temple of God. We, as human beings, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and then we are joined together with our brothers and sisters corporately, and we are the corporate body of Christ, the living, breathing, corporate body of Christ that he's wanting to build together again. It's in unity. You know, and I'm reminded of a movie I saw, you know, where a carpenter, this guy was, he was a sheriff for a living, and on the side, as a hobby, he wanted to do carpentry, but he was really a lousy carpenter, and he built his own house, but the plumb line and the, the angles were so far off, it was all crooked the way the walls were. And everybody that came out to visit that were his friends, they just didn't have the heart to tell him that his building was offline. But he began to find out because when it would rain, it'd rain in the windows and stuff, such because the building was out of alignment. And we don't want to build that kind of living, breathing body of Christ or building or temple of God. We want it to be all in aligned and plumbed the way Christ would have it. And that's what this chapter four is about. We're going to get down into the other parts down more in the chapter, I've only read the first seven verses about how he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, we won't get into all that today, to help empower the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, to walk in unity and walk in their calling, to walk like we say in their vocation. So that's, that's kind of an introduction. But let's go on. I therefore, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation with which you were called. Then verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Why would we need as Christians to forbear one another? Huh? Why would that be? I think it's because as the we're being built together as a living, breathing body, sometimes we knock the mortar off of each other, the rough edges. We're not all perfected yet. At times we do hurt each other's feelings and offend each other, but he's wanting us to forbear one another in love. Lowliness really means smallness, and I don't mean uh, smallness in size, but smallness, I guess, or I should say it does mean smallness. One interpretation says, well, let's just stick with small. Smallness in how you look at yourself and meekness. I guess lowliness, the classic Greek means meanness of spirit. That's what I was getting at. means meanness of spirit, which doesn't mean being a mean person, but it means like being small. That's what I'm trying to get at. That lowliness is a small, making yourself small, esteeming ourselves as small in comparison to our brothers and sisters, putting them above ourselves. Let's read some cross-references that I've pulled out, if I can have them here. And let's read them. Uh, The first one I'm going to read, we're talking about these first two scriptures here, the lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, being called to a vocation. Let's look at being called to a vocation. Ephesians 1, 17 to 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, my favorite scripture in all the New Testament, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, and revelation 
in the knowledge of him. That's where you're going to get wisdom and revelation, friend. In his presence, in the knowledge, in the experiential knowledge of being in his presence. The eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart is a better rendering. Being enlightened that you might know, here we are about vocation, what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in you, the saints? See, he has a calling for you, and he wants to reveal it to you today. And the calling is to come together in unity, to come together as one, to bring your gifts into the living, breathing temple and work together with this brother on one side and this sister on another. Let's look at another scripture about the vocation. And we know, Romans 8, 28 to 30, Romans 8, 28 to 30, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called, see, he's called you today, whom he called, that's you, he justified, whom he justified, he also glorified. Don't want to get into Calvinism or any of that today, a sovereign will of God. Some people he calls and some he doesn't. Let's just say God calls everyone. But the idea is we have to choose to be chosen by him. Do you remember when I remember when I was a kid and I played sports with the neighborhood guys? We played a lot of softball. But, you know, I always wanted to be chosen to be on somebody's team. And it seems like in the end, when we'd choose seven, eight, nine guys there, I was always one of the last ones chosen. Oh, how I wanted to be chosen. And uh, it's kind of sad. You know, as I got older, I got better at sports. But, you know, in God's kingdom, it's a lot of times with people, it's the opposite. They're saying, especially if God wants, is calling them to some vocation like we're talking about, they, they shy back and they don't want to be chosen. Oh, choose him, Lord, or choose her. Don't choose me. You know, they want to hide. But he's calling you to his purposes. He's calling you. And, and those who he's called to his purpose, he'll work together for good. He'll make the transition, uh, maybe not easy, but he'll help you in the transition to the vocation and the calling. Colossians 1.10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in every good work. He's going to make you fruitful, my friend. If he's called you on for, to be on his team, he's going to make you prosperous. He's going to make you fruitful. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I love this verse. I think a lot of times we forget verse 10. We know verse 8 and 9. For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. But we don't want to stop there. We want to stop by being saved by grace and by faith. We want to go on. Why did he cause? For we are his workmanship. One translation says we are his poetry. Or another one says we are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, the vocation to good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, he's got the path all laid out for you today. We could just stop there today on these verses about vocation, about calling. He's called you to a good work. He's picked you for his team. Now today you must choose to be chosen. 
Don't say no. Choose to be chosen. And he'll give you his grace and he'll give you his power to do that good work that it will turn out good. So that's what we're talking about. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called, with all lowliness or smallness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. And then we come to the theme that we're talking about today endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, we, we want to come together and be unified, come together in love. You know, get those sharp edges knocked off of each other. Iron sharpens iron and be joined, fitly joined together, as it says in Ephesians 2, 18 through 21, when it talks about the living, breathing temple of God. Be fitly joined together as one, okay? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, the unity of the Spirit. Unity is, again, the antidote for chaos. Unity, henotos, to be of agreement, of one accord. You know, I think it talks about in Acts, they all came together on the day of Pentecost, and they were of one accord, and the Holy Spirit fell, and a great revival took place. I think God is going to come again on the church and bring them into unity, bring them into one accord, and we're going to see a refreshing, a renewal. We're going to see a revival. I'm declaring that today. I'm believing that. You believe that, my friend? That's what God has for us. So let's go on. There's one body, one spirit, even as you call the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. There's so much in here. See, one is mentioned seven times in these verses, like verse 4 to 7, mentioned seven times. Seven is the perfect number of God, so it's complete. He's not talking about many ways. He's talking about one way. There's only one way to God through Jesus Christ. There's not many ways. There's only one purpose and one direction for each of us as we flow together in unity. Yes, we're called and we have different gifts that we're going to be talking about. See, to every one in verse 7 is given grace according to the measure of a gift of Christ. My gift is different than Sally's over here. Her gift is different than Mary's. Her gift is different than mine. We each have different gifts, but the whole of the parts is greater together than being alone. They have to be joined together in one Lord, in one faith, in one baptism to effectively do the work that God desires done in this time and this season, to bring unity in the midst of chaos that we're seeing. I believe that will happen. Let's go ahead today, and let's just—we're talking about unity. We're talking about what it takes to have unity, which is the antidote for chaos. I'm going to give you an answer to that, another parallel scripture, and then I'm going to be done for today, and we're going to come back in part two, again, unity, the antidote for chaos. Let's read Philippians 2, 1 to 11. It's a beautiful scripture. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And this is, they have up here in my Bible, unity through humility. Remember we talked about smallness, we talked about lowliness, about forbearing one another. Let's see what it says here, what Paul said in Philippians. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, If any comfort of love, 
if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness or smallness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now we're going to talk about the example of Christ. Verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is the key to unity today in the church? Humility. Dying to self. Jesus died on the cross. He took the form of a man and humbled himself and died for you and I and was exalted. It talks about, I believe in Peter, that, you know, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and you will then be exalted. I remember that Peter and James and John, I think it was, came to him, the sons of thunder. We want to be number one. And he said, if you want to be number one, you have to be last. That's where unity starts in preferring each other more highly than ourselves, in seeking to become low and seeking to become humble. That's how the oneness and the unity in the body of Christ will begin to be formed in the living, breathing temple of God. My friends, we've been talking about unity, the antidote for chaos. Unity, the antidote for chaos. Unity and humility is the answer the antidote for chaos. You cannot have unity without humility. So, my friends, we're going to come back again. We're going to read on through this chapter. It has a lot of good keys about unity, about oneness, about how we're going to grow into that in the body of Christ together. Be blessed, my friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Kingdom Corner podcast. Be blessed till next time. Hey, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner. Make sure you click that subscribe button so you get notified every time we release a new episode. Welcome to the family. Thank you.